Turn with me if you'd like to read along to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And we're going to have one verse of text, but we're going to read a few others around it for context. So it'll be 1 Timothy 2, we'll read verses 9 through 15. This, of course, the first letter of Paul to Timothy, one of the pastoral epistles. And he's addressing a responsibility here of both men and women. And he picks up with women in verse 9 after speaking of men there in verse 8. And he says concerning the women that in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. And our message is not women today or women's responsibility, even though that's what these verses are dealing with, but we want to hone in and focus on verse 14, which says again, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. And our title and focus is going to be Adam's sin. Adam's sin. And there are a multitude of scriptures we could have went to for a text for Adam's sin because Adam's sin is spoken of throughout the Bible, the Old and the New Testament. When we speak about Adam's sin, of course, we are speaking about what we commonly call the fall, right? Because Adam and Eve fell, and the brunt of that responsibility is laid upon the head, the man, the first created one. So we would begin by way of introduction of reminding you of the importance of this subject, Adam's sin and the fall. The importance being that a proper understanding of this lays the foundation or groundwork for everything else you will believe in the Bible. And a lack of understanding concerning the fall will lead to total chaos and all kinds of beliefs that are simply not true and not biblical. Now, I will say this. In order to have a proper understanding of the fall, you must precede that by having a proper understanding of creation. And that's not our subject, but I want to make that point. I don't think anybody who believes in evolution could ever comprehend the fall. I just don't think it's possible. It just defies the subject matter, as a matter of fact. So, the prerequisite of the fall is God creating and why He created and how He created. And if you don't understand that, then the fall doesn't even take any meaning or importance whatsoever. But, the bottom line is what you believe about those two things, first of all, creation, that'll shape your life and everything you believe in life. Good or bad. Whether you believe that what God says about it or what men teach about it. And then secondly, based upon creation, 
This is where we begin with doctrine and the teaching of God's Word. What happened and what took place in the fall or Adam's sin. That also will shape everything else you believe about the Bible. Why do I say that? What, why, why is that so important? Why is that so relative? Because every other Bible doctrine takes off from here. This is the launching pad. The fall. The fall presents the need. The fall shows us the problem. And how is that need or that problem met? It's like being sick. You can have all kinds of sicknesses. God only knows how many types of sicknesses people have had up to this point in creation. They're not all treated the same, are they? Not all the same remedy. Wouldn't it be nice if we had one cure-all drug for everything that ever happened? It would be great. Well, I guess we'll have one preventative in the new in the new heaven and the new earth because the Bible says we'll eat of the tree of the life, you know, in that, in that respect. But that's a whole different thing. Don't get me get tangled up with that. But, again, the fall and what happened there is what will shape every other doctrine in the Bible concerning salvation. By that, I simply mean what did happen there in the garden? In Genesis 3. I mean, it deserves diligent attention. Many have read that and come away from there with thinking man just got sick. You know, he just got a little ill. It's just a small problem to overcome. What is the severity? How severe was them eating of the forbidden fruit? When we say they fell, what degree did they fall? You know, you could fall one foot, you could fall two foot, you could fall ten foot, you could fall from the Empire State Building. It's not all the same. What was the degree of the fall measured by the consequences of the fall? And by that I mean again, we look at that third chapter of Genesis, look at the first two where God created and everything good, and then we look at chapter 3, where they fell. You look at that. Then you look at human history up to now. And then you look around you and you look at what's going on in the presence of us in our generation. And that all contributes to the degree, the importance, and the severity of the fall. Well, to an open mind and to the mind that is objective of truth and willing to accept God's Word, we know that the fall was just as severe and tragic as it could have been. And the consequences and tragedy are devastating. And that every generation and every human being that has lived since it happened has suffered because of it. And not just a little. We die physically because of the fall. But more tragic than that, before we were ever born, we were already dead spiritually because of the fall. That's the real tragedy. We're not just a little bit sick with God. We're dead in trespasses and sin and alienated from God. So again, the importance, the biblical account of the fall and how you see it, whether you accept it as God reveals it, or whether you conjure up your own idea 
of what happened there will literally shape and provide you the answers for all of your life questions and experiences. And most people never get it right or figure it out because they don't accept what the Bible says. If you believe what the Bible says about Adam's sin and the fall, you have an explanation for everything that's ever happened in human history. You have an explanation for your own life, for other people's lives, and everything that's going on now, and everything that will happen in the future. That's how important that is. That's how foundational it is. When Adam sinned, we were plunged into all humanity of all time under the curse and the consequences of suffering death because of sin. And nobody's exempt. So this is an important subject. Well, let's look at the text. The first thing I do want to deal with is what it says concerning the woman Eve. Okay? Notice the point here. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Now, Genesis 3 makes that very clear, does it not? I mean, we're talking about Genesis 3 and the first six verses there. And when you read those first six verses, if you read it with an objective mind, you will come away saying, yes, the woman was deceived. So when Paul wrote this to Timothy, he was telling the truth based on the events and the transcription of what happened in Genesis 3, verses 1 through 6. Now, I'm not saying this to defame or degrade women, no more than Paul is. That's not the objective or the point. The point here is just telling the truth of what happened. And Paul said, Adam wasn't deceived, but Eve was deceived. That's the way it began, that's the way it happened. In fact, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. And of course, many of the things I'm going to be saying this morning, which are directly from God's Word, are not palatable to this current culture and generation. But so what else is new? It never has been to any culture or generation what God has said concerning men, women, or any other truth in the Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 7 and again here, Peter is speaking also about men and women, roles, responsibilities. And he spoke of women and now he speaks of husbands. The opposite order that Paul was speaking to to Timothy. Likewise ye husbands dwell with them, that is women, wives, according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, folks, brothers, sisters, when we read the Word of God and we are seeking after truth, we can read that and accept that as the truth that it is without lifting a man out of his boots or without pushing a woman down into her shoes. That's God-ordained. That's truth. That's fact. It's not giving glory where glory is not due to a man and it's not degrading a woman. That's just God's ordained role for men and women. And we accept it without bias, without prejudice, without puffing up or deflating. And thank God if you can do that. That's the grace of God that keeps us from it because we're prone to do otherwise. But you know, as Genesis said, and I'll be brief here, God created what? Well, He created all things. 
But as our text says in verse 13 in 1 Timothy, Adam was first formed and then Eve. Now whether you like that or not, that's God's way of doing things. If he didn't want to do it the other way, he could have done it the other way. But this is the way God done it and this is the way we accept it. And again, that, that's not degrading to a woman when I read that. And that's not super elevating the ego of a man when I read that. That is just God's natural order. And let me go ahead, I'm spending too much time here, but nevertheless, God had a natural order with the plants and animals too, okay? So we don't need to find fault with that anymore, we'll find fault with this. Each in its proper role and place. And of course the Bible, Peter said woman was a weaker vessel. That don't mean that's men, we look down our nose at women as weak, you know? Women are anything but weak. You know, men have their weaknesses, women have their weaknesses, God didn't make us the same. Here I'm getting off again, but it's hard not to. You know, what's lacking in a woman, a man fulfills, and what's lacking in a man, a woman feels. Yeah. That's the bottom line. And rejoice in it. That's right. But God created a divine order. He created the man first. And He created the woman not like He created the man, but He created the woman from the man. And that's all recorded back there in the book of Genesis about all that. You know, I mean, I'm not going to take the time to read it. I don't have the time. But in Genesis 2, 20 through 25, God said it's not good that the man be alone. He needs a help mate. And so he put him to sleep. First surgery. You know, I mean, I mean, this I could preach on that. That's just so marvelous, isn't it? Do you think of the union of marriage and that God took from the man a rib and created the woman and then performed the first marriage ceremony and all of that. And for this cause shall a man leave his mother and father and cleave unto his wife and not. I mean, that is so beautiful. That is so beautiful when you see God's way of doing things and the proper roles and what a man is meant to be and what a woman is meant to be and how they complement one another and not butt heads with one another. I mean, it's just beautiful. It's beautiful. And thank God if you see that, know that, and, and gives you the grace to practice that. That's what it's all about. So, the Bible says that the woman being deceived. And my point simply was what Peter said. The woman was not the man. The woman was the weaker vessel. And Satan, be as smart as he was, he knew where to start. That's just the bottom line. Now, you know, I'm not saying this. Women don't have to feel guilty because of that. No. No. None whatsoever. And men don't get to point a finger at Eve and say, yeah, it's all her fault. She got... No. Paul's not doing that. Amen. And neither should we. It says she was created from man. She's the weaker vessel. She's the helpmate of man. And again, we don't glory in that title. Well, I do. I glory in that title. I'm glad I got a helpmate. I'm glad woman is a helpmate for a man. I am going to glory in the God-ordained sense. I'm not going to glory in it from an authoritative sense. But Satan, being wise, he attacked the woman, the weaker vessel. Now, Eve sinned. She sinned before Adam sinned. I don't believe according to the Scripture. In fact, the Scripture makes it clear they did not sin together. The Bible says that she took, after she took and ate, and she gave to her husband. So there was a one-two to it. So she did, in essence, sin before Adam actually did. But they did sin and the responsibility was laid upon him. So, I'll simply go back to Genesis 3. Hold your place and let's do at least look at verse 6 there where it says this, discusses this. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food 
and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. So there it is. Uh, she was deceived. She participated. She gave to Adam. He ate. So she was responsible. She was guilty. She's to be blamed. She was deceived. Shouldn't have been, but she was. That's the facts of the matter. And the bottom line there, she gave unto Adam. Okay? So this is part of the deception and this is the way Adam's sin came about. In fact, look down to verse 12 when God is holding everybody to task for their uh, deeds here. The man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. Well, he's telling the truth there because that's what verse 6 says. Down to verse 17, notice this. Unto Adam he said, God, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree which I commanded thee, saying, They shalt not eat of it. Cursed should be the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Now notice that it says there, you hearkened unto the voice of your wife. Well, the only way Adam could have hearkened unto the voice of his wife was if Eve suggested that he eat of the fruit. Alright? So she was deceived and then she gave unto Adam and he hearkened. So we don't have the exact words. We don't have the conversation. We don't know how it went and we shouldn't spend time speculating about it. I mean, so many people have got carried away with what's went on here and how this happened. We're not told. Don't let your mind run wild. You know, we can... We can take things we've said where Adam was totally resistant. I'm not about to eat of it. You ate of it. I'm not going to do it. You can die and you can die alone, but I'm not going to disobey God. You know, oh, please, honey, won't you? I mean, you, you can run wild with garbage like that. And it's all a bunch of Hollywood script garbage is all it amounts to. We're not told. But we are told he hearkened. So there was something said, something suggestive to start with. So, the woman was deceived. That's the bottom line. When she sinned, she gave unto her husband, and he hearkened unto her and ate of it. So this is how it came about. Her first and then him. Now, the consequence of the woman's deception and part in the sin and the curse is verse 15 below our text. Childbirth. The problems, suffering, travail, pain, complications with childbirth. You know, if that was to go away and women start having children without any problem whatsoever, then we could throw our way our Bibles, couldn't we? But that's not the story of history and that's not the way it's happening now. I mean, they can drug you and give you spinals and do other things, but they do it for a reason. And that men will never know. Only women know this. But every time it happens, it's related to the fall, to Adam's sin. So it's not going away. <laughs> the pain and travail is not going away. That's the consequences. All right, to our point. Adam was not deceived. Now, I want you to just think that. You just understood everything about the woman and the deception because it's described for us in six verses in Genesis chapter 3. I mean, I can stand here and say Eve was deceived. And that could be the end of it. But you've got six verses that describe how that occurred. 
Now I've just said Adam was not deceived. And we don't have nothing, do we? What's meant by that? Adam wasn't deceived. Well, we know that Satan didn't come and talk to him like he did Eve. Whatever. Now here's where all the hypothetical stuff comes up, and I hate to even mention it, but just don't go thinking about it, okay? But I say this just to show you how people get carried away and miss the point. I've heard a lot of it myself in preaching uh, from other men, and I, I don't, it's just thoughts, but... First of all, a lot had come up, well, where was Adam at? He should have been there, protecting his wife and this and that and the other. Well, I don't know. I, I don't know if he should have been or not. Why should he have been there to protect her from anything? I mean, this is a sinless creation, a perfection. I mean, you know, could they not roam around in the garden separate from one another? Why not? You know, I mean, you get... But there's a lot of people find fault and point a finger at Adam. Adam should have been there looking over his wife and kept Satan. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I think you're on the wrong track if you're going to do that. But nevertheless, some say, well, he was present. He observed the whole thing. He listened to everyone. How do you know that? Those six verses just got a conversation with Eve. And, and I mean, why wouldn't he have injected something into that? You know, I mean, so here you go again. And some believe he heard. Some people believe that he just observed it all. You know? And some people even believe that he watched the whole scene and then when she did it, that, you know, and she, you know, he hearkened unto her, it was because, okay, Eve, I saw what you did, and now you're going to die, whatever that means, and. Because I love you, I'm going to eat it and die with you. You know, Romeo... I mean, people run crazy with this stuff. And we're simply not told. We're told she was deceived. We see how the deception took place. And once she did, she took and gave to Adam and he hearkened unto her. And when he did, Adam committed sin. That's what we need to stick with. Regardless of whether he's present, observed, heard, or whatever, etc., 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 that's not the point. I believe all that's meant to deflect. I believe that's all hypothetical stuff the devil wants to deflect us. But the bottom line is, out of all that, Adam was not deceived. So number one, he was not deceived by Satan. Eve was. And he was not deceived by Eve. Very important. You understand that? It would be very easy to read this and say, well, yeah, Satan deceived her and then she deceived him. No, no, no. How do you know that? Because Paul said Adam was not deceived, either by the serpent nor by his wife. This brings us to the point that I want to set before you today that I really want you to think of and that I really want you to embrace. Adam, not being deceived, having a purely free will, no bias, no inclination to sin, no advantage, disadvantage, contrast away, would it be good to eat, not to eat, what will happen if I do eat, what about, without any of that, a totally free will, which to us again, we can't comprehend. He was not deceived by Satan nor his wife, but he made a deliberate, willful choice. Very different than Eve. You see the difference? 
She was deceived. She made a bad choice too. But she was deceived into making that choice. I'm not taking any responsibility away from her. She should not have done what she did. But we're told the instrument and the means by which she did, it was a deception of Satan. Adam experienced no such thing. I hate to say it, but I don't know how to say it to get the meaning across any different. So I'll say it and hope it don't be taken the wrong way. Adam's sin then was different from hers and I'm going to say it, more severe. Now again, I'm not dividing up sin as, you know, hers was a class 2 sin and his was a class whatever sin. I'm not doing that. I'm just saying. I'll tell you what I'm saying. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth not, it's sin. The woman was deceived. Adam knew what to do and didn't do it. And it was a willful, deliberate act. And therefore... Worse than what she did. I'll put it like that. And that's the point I want you to think about. Now uh, now again, we all make willful, deliberate choices in sin. We shouldn't, but we have, and we do. And we certainly shouldn't as Christians, but we do. God forbid. God help us not to. But Adam's sin was something that he did. He was conscious of what he was doing. Eve was deceived, but Adam was fully aware of what was happening when he did what he did. Eve was not. She was deceived. Do you see the difference? That's the point to be made. That's what Paul is saying here. And it's very brief, but man, does it cover the territory. He was conscious of what he was doing. It was deliberate. It was willful. And in so doing, it was defiant. And it was disobedient. He did it with his eyes wide open, not being seduced by either a serpent or his wife. That's what makes it so severe and so tragic. Eve was deceived, and it's almost like we could say Adam committed a crime. Right. I mean, it just if, if that helps you discern the difference here. It was open rebellion when Adam sinned. Wow. Not, that, not that Eve was not rebelling, because she knew also. I do want to point this out to you, though. Let, let's go back to Genesis and show you this. In, in Genesis chapter 2, we have there uh, in verse 16 and 17, The Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden that thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat it, for the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. You realize that God told Adam that before he even created Eve. And then it goes on, I will make a helpmeet for him in verse 18. So this was communicated to Eve, uh, you know, obviously from Adam and maybe even by, reiterated by God. I don't know. But she said in verse 2, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree of knowledge midst the garden, God has said you shall not eat. But I just want to make the point, this was spoken first of all to Adam. To Adam, not to Adam and Eve together, Right? Okay, so he, bore, he had that responsibility before she was even created. Yes. 
And therefore, His decision and willfulness to do it can't be blamed like He tried to do on Eve. No. Oh, they helped me, you gave me. She, she, she gave it to me. God said, no, you hearkened. <laughs> you hearkened to her and not to me. And you made a deliberate, conscious, willful choice all by yourself and on your own, and you can't blame nobody else for what you did. Adam's sin, folks, was severe. And I'm not, I'm not blaming Eve and saying that Eve went from being a helpmate to a temptress. Okay? Or a deceiver in that regard. I, I'm, I'm not doing that. I just want to show you how defiant and rebellious and criminal Adam's sin was. He did it with his eyes wide open, with a pure and free will, which we do not know anything about except in principle. We haven't experienced it and never will. When you were born, your will was corrupted with sin. We won't know nothing about it till glory. No, no. And that'll be in a new body. And yet he did it anyway. He he took from her and ate. In spite of, it's almost like if it could have been put in 12 foot letters in the garden standing there, thou shalt not eat of this tree. I mean, if you can imagine, anything you want to imagine surrounding that tree that could have been big, bright, bold, flashing lights. I mean, when you got close to it, a thunderstorm, anything. An alarm going off. And in spite of all that, he did it anyway. It was rebellion. He's to be blamed. The ultimate responsibility lies solely upon his shoulders as the federal head of the human race. Because he was first created, he was first told, it was a heinous crime. And you know, we can say that a precedent was set then. Not just men hearkening to women rather than to God, but sinners hearkening to each other rather than to God. And it don't have to be a woman. It can be a woman or a man. When this occurred, this is what's been happening. Everything a person says sounds better to a sinner than what God has said. And so sinners live in sin and will follow anything but the truth of God's Word, making all the wrong choices. He hearkened unto her. And to to get this point across, Catholics hearken to the Pope. Jehovah Witness hearkened to the teachings of Charles Tazzy Russell, not to, not to what God said. And if you go into heresy or I go into heresy, I'm going to be hearkening to somebody other than God. You see? And that's the whole trouble. That's where it started, and that's the consequences that's been following ever since. So sinners are in a pattern that was set right here with Adam's sin in willfully, belligerently, criminally, not listening and obeying what God said, but listening to what some other party said. In that case, it was even started with Satan and then went to Eve. That's Adam's sin. Let's quickly deal with the consequences of Adam's sin. When they sinned, Eve and Adam, there was immediately upon that act 
spiritual death. What do we mean by that? Something changed within them, meaning that God-conscious part by which they communed in fellowship with God was severed. They died in their relationship with their Creator. That's why they ran, hid, sowed fig leaves, all, all that's the consequences of showing what had happened internally. They did not fall over dead physically, as you know. That would come later. But when they sinned, they died spiritually. When you read in Ephesians 2.1, you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin, that dead in trespasses and sin occurred first of all when Adam and Eve ate of that fruit. That right there, period. And not only did they die, but that was the precedent for the whole human race that would come hereafter. Their offspring, their posterity. We all came from Adam and Eve. Everybody. We have made of one blood all nations, Paul said on Mars Hill in Acts 17. We all came from there. We may look a lot different now, 6,000 years later, you know, but we all came from the same. And if people would just get this right, intellectually, look how it changed the world. Even if they were unbelievers, if they just got this one thing right, look at the problem that was. But that ain't going to happen. You know that well as I do. People will never give over race, prejudice, and all of that, except by the grace of God. But they died spiritually. They were separated, alienated from that relationship with God. And so have ever, ever sinners been, as I said, I think in Sunday school this morning, or reference to it, in conception we come forth alienated from God. We can't help, help but. That's, that's the relationship our parents had. And so all the posterity had. And then the suffering... The childbirth with a woman, the man toiling the sweat of his brow, the serpent upon its belly. History shows that continuing, and it's continuing to the present. Sin, disobedience, the transgression, suffering, Adam's sin, that's what brought all this about. All suffering. You, you can even send COVID and every other disease there is known to mankind right back to there because it all came from disobedience to God. Suffering, death. All diseases and sickness are nothing but a means of death anyway, are they? I mean, that, that's, it's just a means of dying. Something's going to fail. It'll either wear out or something will attack it and kill it. It goes back to the fall. How many people have you heard talk about COVID and talk about Adam's sin? We ought to be talking about it. It's just another disease that's a consequence of what happened in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. And if something worse comes along, it'll be the same thing. The Chinese may have hatched it over there in the laboratory, or they may not. You know, God only knows. But the bottom line is, it wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Adam's sin. People wouldn't be dying if it wasn't for Adam's sin. There wouldn't be cemeteries if it wasn't for Adam's sin. So there were immediate consequences, and then of course there were consequences afterwards. Adam being the official head and representative head of the human race, that's how we all died in Adam. Now that's again a term that the Bible uses that is foreign to our minds. How can I die in him? And our sinful human nature wants to say, well, I don't deserve this. It's not my fault he sinned. 
As if to say, I would have done differently. Yeah, right. Here we have perfect individuals in a perfect environment with no inclination whatsoever to do. I mean free in the fullest sense of free that your mind and I cannot even define. And they disobeyed God. And you think you're something special and you could have done better? I feel for you if you believe that. Let's read Romans chapter 5 to wrap this up, shall we? Here's where this is set forth so clearly. And this probably, if you know, if you were going to go in, I didn't go to this text for my text because I knew I wouldn't have got done with it. But I am going to read through it in compliments to my text that I did choose. Romans 5 beginning at verse 12. And I'll point out some things here and we'll wrap this up. And there's a vast contrast, so I know you've read it, but as we read it, note the contrast. It's a constant contrast. One, two. If this, then that. If this, then that. And this, and that. Okay? Wherefore, as by one man sin, Adam sinned, entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. That's why we got graveyards. That's the bottom line. But don't overlook the spiritual death. We're dead in trespasses and sin first, and you die later. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. And just let me quickly inject, why does it say from Adam to Moses? Because the law was mentioned in verse 13, and the law was given by Moses. That's why it says that. Verse 15, But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reign by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men to the justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Now that's a nut, that, that, you could stay on that forever, but... There is Adam's sin and what it did to the human race. You, me, everybody else. No matter what race, what color, what generation, what, whatever. It all affected us the same. We were born sinners. As David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. You know, he was a legitimate child of legitimate parents in a legitimate marriage. But he's saying they were sinners and I was a sinner and you can't be nothing but a sinner when all your parents and ancestors are sinners. That's it. So as sinners, Adam's sin was imputed to all of his children. And again, people may want, I've never heard anybody say that, but people may want to say, well, I don't, you know, that can't be true because I don't deserve what he did and all that. Well, let me just give you a brief explanation here. When we say he was the federal head of the human race, the, the representative head, maybe we'd be better. We deal with us, all, all human beings have dealt with this figure of a representative head. Because everybody's have a mother and everybody's had a father. So you've had a representative, a thought, somebody representing you when you could not represent yourself. Okay? 
And we even have governments and social systems that are set up in this way, do we not? I mean, we have elected officials. If the president goes to Turkey, the president, one man, is representing, what, 330 million people? You see that? I mean, this is the way it's always been. Whoever's the emperor, the king, the leader, uh, the father, the mother, whatever, somebody is representative of numerous other individuals. So this is not a foreign principle. This is the same principle that has always been. Adam was the representative head. So what he did affected all the rest of us. What the president will go do will affect all the rest. You know, we were talking about some of the things going on. We may be in war tomorrow. If we do, it will be because the president's representatives or Congress, our elected officials are representatives. You know, you know how it works. We have a representative republic government. They represent us, Right? So Adam represented you whether you like it or not. Unless you're non-human, and of course that's impossible. Quickly, look at this and we're done. In verse 12, his sin. Verse 15, 17, 18, the offense of one. Death or dead by one in verse 15. We have the sin, the judgment, and the condemnation by one. Verse 16 and verse 18. And ultimately all of this, Adam's sin, what they did, can be summed up in one thing. Verse 19, disobedience. All negative. All negative consequences, right? I mean, you have, as sinners, we come into this world with sin... We've offended God because Adam offended God. We are in Adam. We are dead in trespasses and sin. Judgment is looming over us. We're already condemned. Jesus Christ said, I didn't come in the world condemned. The world was already condemned. What did He mean by that? Exactly what I'm telling you. Adam's sin has condemned us all. Not a pleasant thought. Someday I'm going to preach on that. i got some notes on it already. You realize you were condemned when Adam sinned? Yeah, it go, it go, your condemnation goes way back. I'll tell you more about it, Lord willing, someday. But I mean, it's a scary thought, but no less. So we're all hopeless sinners in Adam. Without will, without ability, without desire to change or choose or do anything good. But, here's the bottom line and here's the best part. What sinners need is a new representative. And that's what's given to us right here in Romans chapter 5, verse 12 through 19. You know, all that negative stuff is overcome by positive stuff by another representative head. The only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ, our substitute. And through that we find not condemnation, not judgment, not death, not offense, not disobedience, but a free gift of grace. And where there's condemnation, now there is justification. Where there was unrighteousness, now there's righteousness charged and imputed. And where there was death, now there's eternal life. Look at it. 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. There's a contrast in all those verses. And finally, we didn't read this, but let's just read it. Verse 20, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So we have a better representative head in Christ than we do in Adam. And if He is your representative head and your substitute, then you've been delivered from Adam's sin, from your sin, original sin, the curse of sin, the penalty of sin, the condemnation of sin, and you've been justified in the sight of God by Jesus, God's own Son.
Adam's sin was horrible. But Jesus Christ was and is able to overcome all of that and has and does. We leave you with a simple thought that Paul is stressing there. In Adam, all die. In Christ, all live. Praise to God.